We'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior and the substitute and the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's what we've been seeing. He is nearing Jerusalem. He is going to die and rise again to pay for sin and to conquer death. He indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, as we continue this morning, we're going to see several things. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus declares that he's going to die and rise again. He's going to talk to his men. He pulls them off by the side, and he says, this is going to be the plan. He's going to fulfill the plan. He's going to be crucified and rise again. What did the disciples think? We realize that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament declared that he would be the Messiah and the Savior. So what happens when he tells his men that? The second thing we're going to look at is that Jesus heals a blind man. And you say, well, he's healed people before. Yeah, here's what's a little bit different about this passage. As Jesus goes by, this man, this guy is shouting out, Jesus, son of David. What does that mean? Why is that important? And what does Jesus do? So there's a lot in this passage as we go through it. Uh, we'll see some great things. There's so much. May we gain from the study of the Word of God. Well, uh, you know, I trusted Jesus Christ when I was 19. Most of you know that I went to church, I think, once when I was 6 and, and one or two times when I was 12 years old. And, and if you said to me, do you think you're going to heaven? I would say, yes. I did not understand the way of salvation. I thought as long as you did more good than bad, you could go to heaven. I remember in college that I wandered into a Bible study. I would not have gone if I'd have known it was a Bible study. I just didn't know when they shut the door. And, and so I'm stuck in there. And, and what I heard was the great truth, though. For the first time in my life, I heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I started reading the Bible, and it was so fun. I started at the front part and got bogged down a little bit, so I got over to the new part and got going great. And, you know, I was reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I remember reading the part about Jesus being born, born of the Virgin Mary, and, and there's Joseph. And so I thought Joseph and Mary. But then I kept reading, and reading in the passages, even like we got to today, and, and I saw there was some Sometimes that people call Jesus son of David. And I thought, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's wrong because he's not son of David. He's son of Joseph and Mary. I mean, why did they call him son of David? What I did not realize is that son of David is the title, the title of the Messiah, the greater son of David who would come be the Messiah and the king. So to call Jesus son of David is to call him the king, Messiah, and Savior. It's powerful. So this morning as we study our passage, we're going to see a blind man. His name is Bartimaeus who is just outside Jericho. He's begging. He's a beggar. He sees Jesus or he hears that Jesus comes by because he's blind and he calls Jesus the son of David. What does that mean? And what does Jesus do? So we're going to see some great things. May we be encouraged as we study our passage this morning. Well, let's begin. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He is nearing one of the oldest cities in the world. It's Jericho. It really is sometimes called the city of the palm trees. If you remember this city, this was a city that when Joshua led the nation of Israel into the land to get the promised land, they came to Jericho and they marched around it six days, once, once around it every day for six days. And on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. They shouted and the walls fell down. This is where Joshua fought the battle of Jericho in that sense. And so it's a, it's a famous city. And as he nears the city, uh, we're going to see several things this morning. We're going to see, I call it the person, the work of Christ. We're going to see Jesus tells his disciples he's going to die. Die and rise again. That's his work. He then heals the blind man who calls him son of David. That's his person. So there's a lot there. As we put this passage together, I want you to see the person and the work of Jesus. Let me break down the passage for us. First of all, we see Jesus tells of his coming death and resurrection. This is his work. And he talks about the Old Testament prophecies. He talks about his coming death and resurrection. And then the third part is he, the disciples. Now, this is what's strange. 
the disciples did not understand. And we're going to look at the passage when we get there because it says it that it was hidden from them. What does that mean? And why didn't they understand? And we'll talk about it. The second part is that Jesus heals the blind man. This is where we see his person. Because the blind man calls to Jesus. And he calls him the son of David. Jesus calls him over and questions him. And we see that Jesus heals him. So there's some great things there. As we look at the passage this morning, we'll deal with, with these things about him being the death, uh, the, him dying and rising again, and him being the, the son of David, the Savior. So let's begin. And there's a great truth. And I want you to understand this. And you know this. But one of the great truths in the world is this, that God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, he gave him to die on the cross, pay for sin and rise again, that whosoever would believe in him, trust in him, that means trust in him for eternal life, would not perish, which means to be separated forever, but have eternal life, which means to be with him forever. That's why that's John 3:16 and that's why that verse is so famous because it tells us everything that God loved each of us that he sent Jesus to die and rise again that whoever would believe in him trust in him and him alone would not be separated from God forever but have eternal life. This is the great truth of salvation in the Bible. Now, when you think about that great truth, it really goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to him because he's the focus point. I used to tell people, or I tell people a lot of times in our 2-2 study and things, that the story of the Bible is the perfect God bringing sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center, center point and the central person of all the scripture. When you think about Jesus, two things I want you to think about. The person and the work of the Messiah. I want you to think, first of all, about the person. Who he is, and go ahead to the next slide, I think. That Here's what we find out about the person. That the Bible says that he would be the, the seed of woman. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God actually promised that through the woman there would be a seed coming, there would be a Savior coming who would save mankind. We just studied this on Sunday nights. We're in this morning, I mean that this evening. We're starting Genesis chapter 4. So we looked at this even last week, that he would be the seed of woman, and then later the seed of Abraham. It would go on to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, on down to the son of David. David was promised in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 through 17 that he would have a son who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. That would be the Messiah. So the person of Jesus or the person of the Messiah would be this. But then there's more because there's the work of the, per- of, of the Messiah and it would be his death and resurrection. Dealing with the sins of the world. He would come and he would die and he would pay for sins and he would be the Savior. And so this morning we're going to see both the person and the work. We'll see his work first. I think it's the next slide. With his work in which he tells his disciples that he will die and rise again. What did they think? And then we see his person. How the blind man called him the son of David. And what did he do? So as we go through this study, I want you to put this together as we just see the passage. Now, it's, it's really a story where he pulls his men aside and talks to them. And then he goes to Jericho and sees this man. But what we're seeing in the scripture is his work death and resurrection, and his person, he is the son of David. So it's pretty powerful. Well, he starts off by talking to his apostles, and we'll see what that is. Let's start with number one, which Jesus tells of his coming, death and resurrection. This is his work. Now, if you notice, verse 31 says, Then he took the twelve aside and began and, and, and said to them, Well, I want you to understand this is at least the third time that he has told them of his plan to go to Jerusalem and die and rise again. 
If you study the Gospel of Matthew five times in the Gospel of Matthew, before they ever got to Jerusalem, Jesus told them that he was going to die and rise again. So, that, you know, he, he's telling them this. We're going to see that they haven't grasped it yet. Look at verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. All the things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Well, he took the twelve aside. Now, I want you to understand that when Jesus is going, he's got his twelve men with him. And he's got other people who are some of his disciples who are following him. And then there's crowds following him. But at this time of the year, it's about time for Passover. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Well, many other people are on their way to Jerusalem. So it's a huge crowd of people walking with Jesus. Because that's what happened. They always got in big groups and they went to Jerusalem for the feast days and this is the feast of Passover which would be on the 14th day of the first month followed by the feast of unleavened bread and then there is the feast of first fruits so they're going to Jerusalem for three feasts now as all these people are walking Jesus takes his 12 guys off to the side he wants to tell this to them not to the whole crowd but he wants to tell this to them notice what it says he took the 12 aside and said to them now who are the 12 We have to realize that there were people who were believers. They had trusted in Jesus Christ. Then there were people who were called disciples. And those who wanted not only trusted in Christ, but are following him, living for him. And then finally we have what he called the twelve apostles. And the apostles were those sent forth with authority. These men, other than Judas, because Judas is going to die, these 11 men are going to come to be the head of the church and to lead the, taking the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. So these are his apostles. So he took the 12 aside as they were, and said to them, now watch what he says. He wants to make sure that they know the plan. He wants to make sure that they know he's in control. Because you know what he's going to do? He's told them different places. I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. I take it right back up. If you understand this, that Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem and all of a sudden it just so happened they grabbed him and drug him off and killed him. That's Jesus' plan. He lays down his life. He takes it right back up again. Notice it says, he took the twelve aside, said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to know something. That in the scripture... It doesn't matter whether you come from the north, the south, the east, or the west. When you go to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem because it's the holy city. So it didn't matter. They're coming, they're coming actually going west. They're coming from the east, going west. But he says we're going to go up to Jerusalem. And all things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now he says everything that the prophets wrote about the Messiah is going to come to pass. Well, let me ask you this question. What did the prophets write? What did they say? Well, first of all, they said that he would die. Isaiah 53. The Old Testament would say, he's all, you know, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord had laid on him our iniquities. He was bruised, he was crushed, he was wounded for our sins. Isaiah 53 plainly says that the Messiah is going to die. He would be bruised and broken because the wages of sin is death and Jesus Christ has come to die and pay for sin. So the Old Testament said he would die, but it also said that he would rise again. Psalm 16:10 that he would not stay dead. In fact, the prophet said that even though they kill him, he will be raised from the dead. So he is a living Savior. I want you to understand that Jesus is not a martyr. He's a living Savior. And so Jesus said, everything that the Old Testament prophets wrote about the Messiah is going to be accomplished. He goes on and gives them details. Look at verse 32. He said, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated, and spit upon, and after they've scourged him, they will kill him. 
And the third day, he will rise again. I want you to understand, he's telling something that hadn't happened yet. He's, he's telling, this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what did happen. Now, he says he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. The best that we can tell, that up to this point, Jesus has told at least two other places that he's going to Jerusalem, that the chief priest and the scribes would grab him and he would be crucified, he would be killed and rise again. This is the first time that he said that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Notice what it says? He will be handed over to the Gentiles. That's the Romans. So he's telling them, we're going to Jerusalem and, and I'm going to be handed over to the Romans and they're going to put me to death. Now, look at the details that he gives. For he'll be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked. Well, he was mocked. Do you remember what happened? When the Gentiles got him, when the Romans got him, they took him into a room. They put a purple robe on him. They put this uh, crown of thorns on his head. They gave him the stick. And then they bowed down in front of him and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they pretended to worship him. They made fun of him. It says not only they mocked him, it says they mistreated him. And they did. They beat him. They put a blindfold on him. And they hit him on top of the head. And they hit him on the body. And they'd say, Tell us who hit you. Tell us who hit you. They mistreated him. It says they spit upon him. And they did. It goes on to say, and after they have scourged him. Now, scourge means to be beaten with a whip. And you know that the whips on that day, at the very end, they had these pieces of bone tied in there so that when they hit you, it just cuts your skin, just cuts you to pieces. After they have scourged him, they will kill him. He says he's going to die. He's going to die. The Old Testament foreshadowed what kind of death it would be. Psalm 22, written by David 1,000 years before Jesus was born. David, talking about the Messiah, says, They have pierced his hands and his feet. Talks about the crucifixion 1,000 years before they even did crucifixion. In John 3, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, they lifted up a serpent on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on a pole. They would kill him. But it doesn't end there. Because he goes on to say, And the third day he will rise again. That's the resurrection. That's Psalm 1610 that talked about it. He would not see corruption. As I mentioned a while ago, Jesus is not a martyr. He's not somebody who died for a cause. He is the one who died and rose again, paying for my sin and your sin. That's the key. He is the Savior. He is coming to the world to save mankind. And he does the work just as the Old Testament said. And you realize, 2,000 years ago, after Jesus told this, 2,000 years ago, he went right into the city. He first was arrested by the Jews, tried three times, turned over to the Gentiles. The Romans tried three times, put on a cross, crucified, buried, and rose again three days later. Exactly as he said. He is the Savior and the Messiah. And any one of us in this room, if you will believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, because he died and rose again to give you life. If you trust in him, you have eternal life. Now, look at the response by the guys, verse 34. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of the statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. They didn't get it. Why didn't they understand? Well, let me tell you. First of all, they, didn't, they weren't looking at it like we do. See, we, we've got the whole revelation. We've got everything. We've got the end from the beginning. We look back. Sometimes we'll say, why didn't they get that? Well, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. They didn't have all this. We've got the completed revelation. We know the whole story. 
They weren't thinking of it like this. They they thought Jesus is the king, he's the Messiah. We're going to Jerusalem. When we go to Jerusalem, you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to run all those Romans out of there. He's going to take over because he's the greater son of David. He's going to sit on the throne and he's going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he's going to do. They weren't grasping that he was going to Jerusalem and be killed. They weren't grasping that the first coming of Christ was to die and the second coming of Christ is to reign. You remember when Peter was, and Jesus was talking, this is back when they were in Caesarea Philippi, and they were talking, and Jesus looked at them and said, who do, who do people say that I am? And they all kind of said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, some think you're, you know, one of the prophets, or Zechariah, or something, you know, or, you know, one of the prophets. And uh, he said, who do you think I am? And, of course, Peter always talks first. Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of God, you're the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus said, that's a great answer, that's the right answer. Just a few verses later, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be handed over, I'll be put to death, and I'll rise again. And Peter said, no, 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 we're not going to let that happen to you. No way we're going to let that happen to you. See, Peter didn't get it. They still hadn't grasped that he's going to have to die on the cross to pay for the sins to be the Savior of mankind. They're thinking he's going into Jerusalem and move those Romans out of there and take over the world like King David ruled the world. And so the disciples understood none of these things. And notice the verse goes on to say, and this statement was hidden from them. Well, the question is, who hid it from them? Why was it hidden? Did God hide it from them? Did he say, I just don't want them to grasp it right now? Or was it because of the way that they were thinking that it was hidden from them? They just didn't grasp it. We don't know. We can't tell. It says they did not comprehend these things. See, we got it all. We know who Jesus is. The Savior. He came to this earth and died and rose again. He gives eternal life to all who believe. We've got the whole revelation to end from the beginning and the end. We've got everything. And so we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to wonder about it. We can see it and see it plainly and understand it. Well, we see His work. That's the first thing. His work is His death and His resurrection. Let's look at the second thing there, and that's His person. And we're going to see that Jesus heals the blind man. And this deals with this person. And and this is where we see who he is. Watch what happens. Verse 35. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Let me let you understand what's going on. As you, just to see this, that probably on the outside of Jericho, they're going from the east to the west. As they're getting ready to go into this city, the city of palm trees, as they're ready to go in, there's a man sitting there begging. In fact, if you look at the other scriptures, if you look at the Gospels, there are actually two of them. One of the other Gospels tells us this man's name is Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. And there's two of them there. Luke only tells us about one. As they're coming into the city, there's this guy. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The plan is that they would go through Jerusalem. They may stay, spend the night. We don't know. They go through Jerusalem, and then they've got 18 miles until they get to, and they'll start, they'll start a place that will start getting higher, and they'll get a place which we call the Mount of Olives. And there are two or three little bitty towns on the top of the Mount of Olives. One's called Bethany, one's called Bethpage. There's another town, they don't even give us the name. When you got to the top of the Mount of Olives and look out, just go into the west, you see Jerusalem. You would go down the, the, the hill, the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley, and go up and go into what's called the Eastern Gate, sometimes called the Golden Gate, and you would go into the gate of the city, and then, and you could see from even there, you could see the temple. And so that's the plan. They're going to go to Jericho, go 18 miles, go across the top of the Mount of Olives, and go down into Jerusalem. He's coming there for a reason. He just told them, I'm going there to die and rise again. Now, as he's going, as he's getting ready to go into Jericho, because next week we're going to see a famous story. 
that every one of you know that if you went to church at all growing up, you know the story of Zacchaeus. The wee little man who climbed in the tree, right? Well, I don't really like to use the word we, okay? The wee little man. But anyway, we're going to look at that next week. Guess where he's from? He's from Jericho. They're going to stop in Jericho to see this man. But look what happens with this man named Bartimaeus. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. They're going to the city of Palms. They're heading west. Their plan is to go through the city and on into Jerusalem. Now, blind people, people who were out of luck, you might say, they would sit by the road. They would sit by a place where they knew people walked by, and they would beg. They'd have a place usually that people would throw money or maybe food or something because they, they, didn't, they couldn't make it. Usually the people in this situation didn't even have any family. So he's just sitting there begging, and, and one of the other Gospels tells us there were actually two of them, but we know this man's name is Bartimaeus, and it says that he was sitting by the road begging. And then it goes on to say, Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now, I want you to understand that he's used to people going by. In fact, at this time of the year, since it's almost Passover, he's used to a lot of people going by. But because it's Jesus and because probably people are talking to him and everybody wants to be close to him, it's, it's, it's more noise. It's more something going on. So he hears this thing going by. It says, hearing a crowd going by, he said, wait a minute, what's going on? What's going on up there? And so somebody looked at him or somebody told him, they said, hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I want you to understand something. This man doesn't go, who's Jesus of Nazareth? He already knows who Jesus is. In fact, he's already trusted Jesus as his Savior. He believes that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. And he believes that Jesus is the Son of David, which is the promise. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, the son of David is going to be the, the Messiah and the Savior. And so he knows exactly who he is. Look what he calls Jesus. Notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him the son of David. This man already believes in Jesus as his Savior. So what does he want? Watch. Now, hearing the crowd going by, verse 36, he began to inquire what this was. And they told him it was Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So look what he does. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want you to do two things. Number one, he says, Jesus, son of David. He makes sure that, that Jesus understands that he's saying, Jesus, I think you're son of David. So, Jesus, son of David. And the way this is written in the Greek, he said, he shouted this out. He said this very loudly. You can almost see him going, Jesus, son of David. And people, people are going to go, hey, 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 keep quiet. What do you think you're doing? Quit bothering everybody. What are you doing? Shut up. That's what they're going to do. In fact, when he shouts this out, the people hear it and Jesus hears it. And we have two different reactions. The people say, be quiet. And Jesus says, come here. Watch this. He begins shouting out, verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He believes, I think we got it right here, he believes that Jesus is the greater son of David, the promised one of 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. He believes he's the Savior. This man believes already that Jesus is the Christ. Now, he wants something. Notice what he says, have mercy on me. Me. Look at the reaction of the people. 
And those led the, those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know what they're saying? Hey, hey, be quiet. Be quiet. Look, Jesus doesn't have any time to stop here. He doesn't have time for you. You, be- you beggars, you, we ought to move them back anyway. Jesus doesn't have time for you. That's what they're saying. I want you to understand something. Jesus has time for every person. Every person. He knows us. He loves us. He has provided for us. He is the protector. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is everything we need. And so He always has time for you. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, He has time. He will hear everything you ever want to say and ever talk to Him day in and day out. Everything always has time for you. Well, the people looked at him and said, be quiet, be quiet. But what did he do? He didn't say, okay. He began to shout out. Notice verse 39. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, which literally means he got louder. He got louder. And he said, son of David, have mercy on me. He is calling Jesus the Messiah and the Savior. Son of David. The man's declaring that Jesus Christ is the king. And so here's a question I have for you. See, they told him to be quiet, but he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And here's my question for us. Are we telling other people about Jesus? Are we making known that Jesus is the Savior and the king? Are we the lights, and that's who we are, we're the lights in this world, to people who come around us, who, who are in our sphere of influence, the people we work with and we live with and the neighborhoods and the and classes and everything else on campus and everything, do people know that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior? We're supposed to be lights. We're supposed to be witnesses. We're ambassadors for Christ. We have opportunities every day if we look for them to tell people about Jesus Christ. So we have that privilege and responsibility. He's shouting it out. Well, look what happens. The people said, be quiet. And Jesus is going to say, come here. Notice verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. Now, as Jesus was going and all these people and all this noise, he stops. And he looks over and says, come here. Tell the man to come here. The other gospels tell us this. He was sitting there. He had a cloak on. And one of the people sitting next to him or close to him said, Get up, get up, be of good cheer. He's calling for you. And he says he threw off his cloak and ran over to where Jesus was. See, they had just been telling him to be quiet. Now they're going, well, he wants to talk to you. You better get over there. Look what happens. And Jesus stopped and commanded him that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. Jesus is going to ask a question. Here's the question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, before we go further, I want to answer that question. See, he's not going to say to Jesus, I want to have eternal life. I want to be with you forever. That's not what he wants, because he already has that. He already believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He already declares that he is the son of David, the Savior of the world. What does he want? He wants to see. Notice. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. See, the, the word regain sight in Greek really means I want to be able to look up. It's the idea of I want to see something. I, I can't see now. I want to be able to like look up and see. That's what he wants because he's already a believer. And look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight 
your faith has made you well. Now, we have to be careful on this because sometimes people miss this. When he says, receive your sight, he's saying, I'm going to heal you right now. And when he says, your faith has made you well, the word made you well is the Greek word for salvation. It literally says, your faith has saved you. He's saying, you're a saved man, and because your faith has saved you, I'm going to also heal you. Because that's what the Messiah did. The son of David came to seek and save the lost. The son of David is going to come and he heals people and he, and he points out that he is the Messiah. And so what does he do? He says, your faith has saved you. You're saved. I'm going to let you be able to see. Now I want you to understand something that is true for every human being. That salvation comes by faith. It's always faith. It's not works. It's not going to church. It's not being good. It's not trying to live a good life. That's what I used to think. It's not any of that. It is simply faith alone in Christ alone and you have eternal life. Whether it's Old Testament, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Or New Testament, John 3, 16, God loved the world that whosoever believes. It's always faith. Always faith. If you want to do something fun, just take the book of of, of John. Just that book. No other book in the Bible. Take the book of John and go through there and count every time it says that you're saved by faith. Just to help you out, there's 98 times in the Gospel of John that he says you're saved by faith. So it might be fun to do that and write them all down. Then you have them and somebody says, really? And say, here they are. Okay? It's just faith. It's always faith. He says, your faith has saved you. That's what it literally says. Jesus shows that he is the Messiah and the Savior and the King. Look what happened immediately. Verse 43, he regained his sight. Literally says he was able to look up. He was able to see and began following him and glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Immediately he was able to see. And look what he did. I want you to see this pattern. Look, he believed in Christ for eternal life. And then... He followed him in discipleship because that's what happened. He already believed in Christ, so then he followed him and he was giving God all the glory. And that's really the pattern. You put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life, and then you're to follow him in service because that's what the guy's going to do, and you're to give God all the glory. And look how it ends because when, when everybody saw it, they gave praise to God. And see, the truth is this. When you trust in Christ and then live for Christ and give God the glory, everybody's going to give praise to God because that's the key. When we believe in Christ and live for Him, God gets all the honor and the glory and the praise. Now, here's something I think is amazing. Think about this. The religious leaders could see Jesus, but they were blind to Him. And the blind man could not see Jesus, but he saw Him as the Son of David, the Messiah, and the King. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room see Jesus as the Savior. That you realize that He is the Son of David, the one who's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Messiah and the Savior and the Christ. And that He came to this earth, that He died on the cross, that He paid for sin and He rose again and He offers to you eternal life as a gift. It is that simple. And whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And if you trust in Christ right now, Right where you're sitting. I want you to understand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to give your life to Jesus. You don't have to turn away from your sins. You don't have to do any of those things because you can't. Because that's works for salvation. It is simply a gift that is given to you. It's not what you do. It's what you receive. And you're receiving the gift of eternal life simply by faith. And when you do that, by the authority of the Scripture, you are saved at that exact moment. This morning we have seen 
The work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, we've seen the person of Christ. He's the son of David, the Messiah and King. We've seen Jesus went to the 12 and he told them how he's going to die and rise again and he would fulfill the Old Testament prophecies and they just didn't get it. And then the blind man calls him the son of David, Messiah and King, and Jesus heals him and he follows Jesus and God gets the glory and the praise. Let me give you some applications very quickly. The first one is this. Understand the person and work of Jesus Christ as we see who he is and what he's done. First of all, let's think about him as, as the, he is the son of David. This is his person. That's who he is. He is the one who is promised but to King David. He is the king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the savior and the king. He would be the Messiah and he was the one who's going to rule forever. That's who he is. Second though, we see that he died and rose again. That's his work. He came to this earth just as the old Testament prophet said he would. He died on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the suffering servant. He died and rose again, not seeing corruption, but living forever. Jesus told his disciples this truth that he was dying and rising again. So understand that the Son of David is the one who died and rose again as Savior and King, and all who believe in him have eternal life. So with that in mind, now your bulletin, I got a little bit of change there. I've got let us respond to Christ. That's a little bit different that's in your bulletin, but this is the application I want you to think about. Let's respond to Christ. How? A, by faith in Christ we have eternal life. I hope every one of you in this room, if somebody said to you, are you going to heaven? Are you going to be with God forever? You would say, yes, because I have trusted Christ as my Savior. I took the gift of eternal life by faith. I hope and pray that. B, we follow Him in service. Now, that's a response to all of us who know Christ as Savior. Let's live for Him. Let's say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to serve you. And then the last thing is this. Give the praise and glory to God. He gets all the praise and all the glory. And so what I want you to think about this morning, may we understand the person and work of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the Savior and King who died and rose again, giving eternal life to all who believe, and may we serve Him so that God gets the praise and the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died and rose again. That's his work. And that he is the greater son of David. That's his person. And so he is the Savior, Messiah, and King who gives eternal life as a gift. And so, Lord, our response is I hope and pray that everyone has trusted in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we will follow him, that we'll live for him, we'll make an impact for him, and that he'll get all the praise and all the glory. Lord, thank you for these great truths. Most of all, thank you again for Jesus, our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.